Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A few years ago, when I was still young enough to go trick-or-treating, a small ragtag group of us boys went out in hopes of acquiring the biggest haul of candy that we could get our hands on. It was going to be our last year of trick-or-treating, so we wanted to make the best of it. We were getting too old to do that sort of thing, but we were still young enough to get caught up in the excitement of it all. And so, we spent a day plotting our course. Rural communities around here aren't laid out in nice, neat squares like they are in the cities. No. Sometimes, we don't even have paved roads. And so we rode our bikes out and searched for the best route. The one that would take us to all the houses where we knew we'd get the most and best candy. And when I say best candy, I think you know what I mean. Large, thick candy bars. The whole ones, not the minis that they give out. Anyway, Halloween arrived and we donned our best costumes. A mummy, a werewolf, a vampire... And, well, I was just a zombie. It was pretty traditional stuff. We had been watching the horror movie marathons on TV all month, mostly the classic horror movies, and so our costumes reflected that, I guess. And we didn't go out when all the younger kids went, before sunset. Now, we waited until the sun dipped behind the mountains and the world was thrown into darkness. That was broken only by the nearly full moon, the occasional sodium arc streetlight, and the ethereal glow cast by jack-o'-lanterns and Halloween-themed lawn decorations. The first neighborhood was small. It was only a dozen houses set close together in a small valley. We got what we considered good candy at each house. Full-sized Hershey bars, Reese cups, and a lot of those little dum-dum suckers that we all loved, although I heard a lot of other kids didn't. Doesn't matter. There were only a few other trick-or-treaters, and most of them years younger than us. We decided to leave our bikes in favor of having the creepiest experience possible. Walking through the rural landscape after dark, dressed as our favorite movie ghouls, and knocking on the doors of strangers and then going from one neighborhood to the next. It would require a few short walks through wooded areas. It was great, and we were completely stoked. Three little neighborhoods, and our bags were nearly full. There was only one left on our route, and it was the farthest from our houses. We ate candy and talked as we walked toward the one-lane road that led to the last neighborhood, and the moon rode high in the sky and the breeze was low and constant. Bobby, our werewolf, howled at the moon several times, each time causing us to jump with its suddenness, and of course then we'd all laugh. The further down the road we walked, the closer the trees seemed to be, 
until finally the branches met and twined together over top of it, creating a sort of natural tunnel that ran the length of a football field. We stopped at the end of that tunnel and eyed the complete darkness. The moon wasn't visible from in there, and the wind made an eerie moaning sound as it blew through. Come on, we're the scariest things here tonight. I said bravely and took the first steps towards the entrance, motioning for the rest to follow. We're too old to be scared of the boogeymen anymore. I took off into the dark with only my small, old-school flashlight, hoping that the boys were right behind me. My heart thundered so hard I was afraid it would echo in that natural tunnel. I held my breath and walked softly until I heard the other footfalls rushing to catch up, and then I breathed a little easier. It's much easier to be brave in a group than alone. Our werewolf didn't howl inside the tunnel as I halfway expected him to do, and that meant he was a little scared too. Of course, it made me feel better. I mean, usually Bobby was considered the brave one in our troop. All of a sudden... As we were walking, a twig snapped behind us and to the left. It was loud as a gunshot and we all whirled around, flashlight beams dancing in the direction of the sound. We could see no movement, nothing to cause the sound. A nervous laughter danced through the group as we turned back towards the exit, which was only about 40 feet away by then. Another loud snap and Vinny, our fearless vampire, broke into a panicked run. I spun, shining my light, and Bobby and Tom whooshed past me. A deer stepped into the little roadway and into my weak beam of light. Relief washed through me, and I began to laugh almost hysterically. <laughs> Again, I had been the brave one. I strutted the forty feet to join my chicken-hearted friends and gloat. We could see the bend in the road ahead, the neighborhood wasn't far away, and we could hear the distinct laughter of other kids still out making their rounds. The neighborhood was the kind with the paved road, had a general store and a small grocery, also had a gas station. This was like a small town. We got there and we all relaxed a little bit. The porches were all decorated with carved pumpkins, their smiles and eyes flickering and winking in the dark. Halfway down the street, Bobby asks, You guys notice that the farther we go, the meaner the jack-o'-lanterns look? And he pointed at the houses behind us, and then the ones ahead. He was right. The first pumpkins looked goofy happy with rounded eyes and wide, smoothly carved smiles. Almost cartoonish in appearance. Moving forward, the pleasant curves took on more sinister, sharper look, until we were standing in front of a two-story Victorian house that had evil, snarling jacks lining each side of its wide porch steps. We only have two more houses, and we could head home early, eat candy till we puke, and watch movies the rest of the night. Come on. Vinny, wired on the sugar already, giving a few of the pumpkins light taps with his hand, making a popping sound with his mouth as he ascended. It should have been me going up first, 
but I suddenly felt scared, as if some evil force was watching me from the darkness and being reflected back to me in the faces of those jacks. At the last house, we bounced off the steps, and I caught a glimpse of another house, much further out, away from the others. It was dark except for the two pumpkins on the porch and the weak yellowish light from the open front door. We going down there too? That's the old Freeman house. And they say old Freeman is into some scary shit, Tom said, tugging at his wrappings that flipped and flapped in the stiffening breeze. Vinny made a little discontented sound, but he didn't say anything. The property around the house was lit only by the moon. I looked up. Little skiffs of gunmetal gray clouds flew across the sky, dimming the moonlight momentarily, and then zipped onto wherever it is that clouds go. The chill in the air was more pronounced, and a shiver ran through me. I didn't mean to walk toward the Freeman house. I don't think anybody walks towards that house on purpose, it just happened. One minute we're all standing at the top of the long hill, looking down at the house. And the next minute, I realized I was at the head of the group, leading them into the side yard. We had all heard the stories, even in our neighborhood. In the country, stories like that spread far and wide. Mr. Freeman was said to be a practicing Satanist or warlock depending on who told the story. And until that night, I just thought they were stories. I'd never seen the house, nor Mr. Freeman. And the smell of dead leaves and earth mingled into an intoxicating aroma that wafted around us, enveloping us in that unmistakable scent, not completely unpleasant, of autumn in the mountains. The old asbestos siding was missing in several places, revealing the slap boards underneath. They had darkened with age and exposure to the weather. The kitchen window was raised a few inches, and the smell of apple pie drifted through the autumn-tinged air, whispering his voice severely muffled from a wolf mask. Bobby said, That pie smells better than my mom's. Vinny replied, also in a whisper. I'm surprised you could smell anything besides your own butt breath in that mask. He laughed, but covered his mouth to stifle the sound. Why are we whispering? I asked. My response was three sets of shrugged shoulders. It was the place. It exuded a hold over us. It demanded respect and reverence. The only other time I had experienced such a feeling was at my grandpa's funeral when we went in and viewed the body. Why a house would make me have such a feeling was beyond me, and I didn't like it. I wanted to be done and back home. The other windows in the house all seemed to be cracked and caked with muck from years of neglect. Without the two jacks on the porch and the dim light spilling from the front door, the house would have seemed abandoned for years, and the wonderful smell of that apple pie. Tom whispered, If he can bake a pie that smells that delicious, how bad can he really be? You ever read the story about Hansel and Gretel? 
The witch's whole house was one big dessert man. Vinny took out his plastic vampire teeth and dropped them into his candy bag. I say, we skip it and we go back home. Bobby's wolf head bobbed up and down in agreement. And Tom looked at me and shrugged. What do you say, Nikki? I thought for a few seconds, eyeing the open front door. Tom nudged me. Come on. It's our last great Halloween hurrah, and I bet no one else came down here. You'd be the only ones brave enough to do it. I'll go up there if you will. Well, it would be a good story to tell the guys at school, I admitted. And the girls, don't forget about them. Tom made an hourglass shape with his hands. Before we could mount the steps, something rustled through the dry grass to the left of the house. Something large was moving through the shadows close to the house. And before any of us could run, a tall, thin man stepped into view, holding out small treat bags. Happy Halloween, boys. His voice, blended with the wind, rustled through the grass and the dead leaves as if they were only an extension of those things instead of his own voice. He held out his spindly arms, grinning, eyes flaring, and was upon us in a few quick strides, as if maybe he floated instead of walked. It was the night, the house, the creepy stories we heard about him. Had to be. I swallowed over the lump in my throat. Trick or treat. It came out raspy and thin. Not the voice I had intended for my best friends to hear. The man's eyes met mine. Indeed. Trick? He dropped one of the small bags into Tom's bag. Or treat? He winked and dropped the one into mine. Backing up, he simultaneously dropped one into Vinny and Bobby's bags and laced his long fingers together in front of his stomach. Zombie Nick got the trick. We stood there for what seemed like ages, gawking at the man who looked like a character straight from Tim Burton's mind. A wide, toothy grin and his gaunt face was hypnotizing and sickening. With one sudden movement, he flapped his hand towards us. Hit that hill and run like hell. His sudden outburst set us in emotion, and his evil laughter chased us up that long hill and echoed around us as we burst back onto the main street of the neighborhood, panting for breath. Relief was still as far away as home, though. The neighborhood had gone dark and silent while we were down there with Mr. Freeman. Every sound was a ghoul out to get us. Every shadowy movement was a monster. And by the time we made it back to my house, we were exhausted. My legs ached, the muscles cramped, and my lungs felt as if I'd been inhaling fire for the last ten minutes of the run. We crashed into the basement room and flopped on the sofas and chairs. Tom pounced onto the middle of the huge bean bag and gave a whoop and drew shushes from the rest of us. I didn't want my mother down there lecturing us to be quiet because Dad had to work the next day. We dumped our candy and started going through it. 
I picked up the little white bag Mr. Freeman had given me. It was just big enough to hold a Hershey's kiss. The bag was fabric and had been tied with a red string at the top. Tiny stitches formed a skull face with an X for each eye and another for the nose and a straight line for the mouth. It was creepy as hell, and I didn't feel candy inside the bag either, and slowly I untied the bag. It fell open into my palm, revealing a large thin chain and a large round amulet. It was a necklace, the silver pendant that had three phases of the moon engraved on one side, and on the other side looked like a kaleidoscope made from silvers of colored stones. I held it up by the chain. Bobby had tossed his mask aside. Whoa, look at that, guys. He pointed to the pendant, and they all looked around. Is that what Mr. Freeman gave you? He held up his own skull-stitched bag. Yeah, I chuckled. The thing was cool-looking. I slid the chain over my head and turned the pendant over, showing them both sides. Tom said, I got a Hershey's kiss, and you got a homemade necklace from a goddamn wizard. <laughs> he scoffed and tossed the chocolate to the pile at his feet. Warlock, dumbass. Vinny interjected as he untied his bag for Mr. Freeman. Miniature Reese's cup. Bobby opened his. Gumball? Really? He screwed his face into an expression of disgust and chucked the gumball at me laughing. The next day, I suffered one of the worst headaches of my life. My mother took me to the emergency room thinking I'd been poisoned by the candy. Mothers always latch on to the worst case scenario, it seems. Or at least mind it anyway. After a shot, which knocked me out, I awoke in bed at home. It was completely dark. I'd been out for hours. The headache had eased, but was not totally gone. And I slept badly that night. Every time I got close to dozing off, I jolted awake. Sure, someone was standing at the side of my bed, just leaning over me. I could see the figure just as I opened my eyes. Gray and sort of translucent. But as soon as my eyes were fully open, the figure was gone. The next day, I stood looking out my window at the gently swaying trees. My head throbbed in time to my heartbeat. My eyes watered and nausea gripped me. As I bent double in the throes of vomiting, I was no longer in my bedroom. I was at the mouth of a cave on a high mountain, the cold wind whipping my hair back and forth. And closing my eyes, my hands clutched at the rug in my room. But there was no rug. It was rock and sandy soil. The smell of death wafted from the cave in front of me. On all fours, I watched as the darkness in the cave transformed into a swirl of smoky human figures where an expression of terror rolled and fought toward the opening, toward me. And then, I was back in my bedroom, on the floor, hands gripping the puke-covered rug. 
disgusted and thinking the hallucination had something to do with my headache and the shot from the doctor, I made my way to the shower. I took off the necklace before getting into the water and my headache was instantly gone. After the shower and still headache free, I went to the kitchen. I was famished and ate as if I'd not eaten in a week. Later that evening, I put the necklace back on. The next morning, the headache had returned. In my 12-year-old brain, the two were not connected at all. Well, not then anyway. I went to school, and during first period, Mrs. Ellerton turned from the chalkboard, and she had transformed. Her skeleton's face had no eyes. Her skin hung in flaps. Her clothes were rotted and tattered. Squawking in surprise, I put my fists into my eyes and rubbed. My head threatened to explode. Mrs. Ellerton rushed to my desk, and I could feel her fingers around my arm. There were only bare bones gripping my arms and shaking me as she asked if I was alright, and when I opened my eyes, she was just Mrs. Ellerton again. Three days later, Mrs. Ellerton died. They told me it was a heart attack. It happened while she was watching Jeopardy. Her daughter found her the next morning in her favorite recliner. That Sunday during church, as I sat quietly, hoping my skull would stay intact until my doctor appointment the following day, Mr. Baumgarten turned into a snarling dead man as he reached to shake my hand after the service. And again, three days later, he was dead. He took a tumble down his attic ladder. But it wasn't just the soon-to-be-dead that I saw. At my doctor appointment, I saw a girl sitting in the waiting room, huddled in the corner instead of a seat. She was gray, her eyes sunken, her bones showing where skin had rotted away. Bugs crawled through her long, matted, once blonde hair. I didn't recognize her. I rubbed my eyes, and when she didn't disappear, I closed my eyes, hoping it was only a hallucination. Letting my mother lead me to the exam room, I kept my eyes closed, claimed it helped my headache. After the initial exam, the doctor called my mother out of the room to speak privately, and that's when I smelled the odor of death. It was overwhelming and too close for comfort. My eyes flew open, and the girl from the waiting room was inches from my face. I scrambled backward onto the exam table until I hit the wall, and the girl's dead eyes rolled up to meet mine. She had been eyeing the pendant. You can see me. You have to help me. She was in my face again, snarling, angry. I shook my head and told her to go away. I was murdered by a man wearing that. She pointed to the pendant. No one knows it. They think I just fell out of a window. But he murdered me, pushed me, and he killed so many others. That thing draws us to it. We're trapped in the kaleidoscope. She stretched out a bony finger and touched the pendant. 
The room was suddenly full of dead people. The moaning crowd pushed toward me. The word kaleidoscope tumbled through my mind as I grasped for its meaning. Hands clawed at me, faces grimaced at me, and I was trapped. The doctor opened the door the room cleared instantly, except for the girl's voice. It remained in my ear all the way home, repeating, We're trapped in the kaleidoscope. As soon as Mom parked the car, I opened the door and ran for the woods. Ripping the necklace off, I held it up in front of me. The cold sun glinted off the colored stones. In the refraction, I could see ghostly faces and figures. My headache was gone and my energy renewed as I ran up the steep slope. I wasn't supposed to go so far alone, but I had to get rid of the pendant. I couldn't stand being harassed by the spirits of the dead were the visions of the people who were getting ready to die. I stopped at the very top of the beauty spot on Uniku Mountain. There was a row of tall rocks on which people had spray-painted their initials, some very old and some new. I walked to the tall blackish rock with the initials SMS. Each S had been painted like lightning bolts. I used the smaller rock to dig a hole in the thin soil and buried the pendant behind that rock. So far, I've never been plagued by those terrible headaches again, and I've not had visions of the dead people since. <laughs>